around a lot. So uh, I just want to say, first off, happy Father's Day to everybody that's here. Um, that's been probably, that is one of the greatest uh, ventures in my life is Mackenzie and Eli. And <laughs> should have started with that, too. I have to try to think of Eli's what he wrote on my card. He said, uh, "He said I love you, Dad, even though you can't catch a fish if your life depended on it." So <laughs> I've been fishing a handful of times this year, and I can't catch a thing. So, um, but they truly, you know, uh, Andrew and I—we didn't plan either one of them, honestly. But God just gave them to us. Um, we didn't. I mean, let's be honest about it. We were married several months in there, and then you know. She's pregnant with Mackenzie, and um, and later on, here comes Eli, and just a blessing. So, very thankful for that, and that God gave me the opportunity to be a father, and just uh, what a blessing it's been. And and you know what I'm talking about if you're a father. You know, all the joys and the heartaches and the concern. But um, one of the best things that we can do is that we can teach them about the Lord. We can teach them the Scriptures. We can teach them about Christ. We can raise them up in that way. As, as Bryce was reading earlier, we can raise them up in that way, and we can um, instruct them in the Lord. The, the message I wanted to bring, um, you know, I actually didn't know it was Father's Day when I was thinking about this, and, but I did because Andrew said that's Father's Day that day, and I said, that, that's fine, and then I forgot. And so I really don't have anything that necessarily is just, you know, about dads and about fathers. But the thing that I have is about knowledge. It's about wisdom. Um, and that is so important because what is we just went through, we just had Bible school, and I, I wasn't there a lot. I was there one day. Of course, I know what it was over. It's about the armor of God. And what is this battle? What is this spiritual battle that we're in? We talk a lot about being in you know, trials and tribulations, and, and that's true. I mean, that's part of the battle that we're in. But the battle, the fight, is for the truth. The battle, the fight, is for the truth. What is right? Pilate asked um, Jesus, as he was on the cross, a rhetorical, cynical question, what is truth? Applying that there is not truth out there, but there is truth. And that's where the fight is. That's where the battle is, is that we have to understand that we are in the fight for truth. We are in the fight for what is right, for what is true, who is true. Jesus said, sanctify them, set them apart by truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. He said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. Use the word, the, excuse me, the definite article, the word the, in front of all those. The way, the truth, and the life. He is the exclusive way to God. The Bible says that Jesus has declared to us who God is. We'll be in Colossians chapter 2. The Bible says that he is the image of God. Hebrews says that he is the express image of God. The word image is the word icon, and it means the express or the exact representation of who God is. Now, is anybody in here a twin? Okay, I know for sure that you're not an identical twin, though. I do know that. Is anybody else in here an identical twin? You're an identical twin. So you and your sister look just alike. All right. Here's the thing, though. You and your sister are not exact copies of each other. You and your sister are exact copies of your parents. That word, that idea of the image means that God, or Christ, is the exact image of the Father. 
Whenever we look at Christ, Philip said, show us the Father and it will be sufficient to us in John chapter 14. And Jesus said, Philip, have you not known me that I've been so long with you that if you have seen me, then you have what? You've seen the Father. What is truth? That Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. That's our battle. That's our fight as Christians today. That's where we are. That's where we live. That is the battle. That is the fiery darts. That is all the things coming against us is the battle for what is right and for what is wrong. For ideas, for the mind. That's where the battle is being fought at. It's being fought in the mind. And what is true and what is not. And as fathers and as parents, as grandfathers, it is our job and our duty to teach our children and the next generation what the truth is. So, if you'll open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. And you can stand. And we're, we'll read here. We'll read through verse 8. We're not going to go over all these verses. I'm here this morning because I don't, I don't want to be here um, for a real long time. I don't know how long it would take. I know you don't want to be here a long time either today. Hopefully somebody's um, cooking you a nice steak or somewhere along the line you're getting something nice today. But I don't want to go through all these. So I want to start in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. I'll go ahead and read verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And I better read verse 10. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And complete that section there. Let's go to prayer. Lord, we just come to you right now, Father, and we thank you for all you've done for us, Lord. We just pray to God that you would just watch over us, that you would bless us, that you'd be with us this morning, Lord. We pray to God that you would just, um, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us to see the truth in your word, Father. We pray to God that you would open our hearts and our minds, Father. And we ask for God that you would just help me this morning to be able to preach and to teach here. We thank you for this opportunity that you've given us, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Colossian church was not established by Paul. It was established by another man whose name is hard to pronounce, Epaphras. And during this time, in this short time, you know, Paul wrote this book in about the eighty sixties, low 60s there. Um, Paul was put to death in the late 60s. And he was in prison at this time that he wrote this book. Within about a 30-year span, air had already begun to creep into theology, had begun to, had begun to creep into the church. Last time I preached, wasn't here, but I got to preach at Fairview Missionary Baptist Church. <clears throat> I talked about 
or preached from the book of Galatians. And Paul, when he wrote to the Galatians, he got right to the point. There was nothing good to say about them because they had forsaken completely and totally the gospel. And they had began to preach another gospel, that you had to be circumcised to be saved. You had to come under the law of Moses to be saved. And here in the church of Colossae, there's a lot of good things to be said, but they are dealing with a heresy known as Gnosticism. Now, if you've been around the church for a an amount of time, you've heard of the word Gnosticism. Has anybody heard of that word before? Or the Gnostics? Gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. The Gnostics taught that there is a radical dualism between God and the world. God is spirit and the world is matter. The Gnostics taught that Jesus had a false sense of Christology. They taught that Christ and his body and his flesh, his flesh... The soul and the flesh were evil, and the spirit was good. So at the baptism of Christ by John the the Baptist, the Christ spirit descended onto the Lord, and just before his death on the cross, the God spirit left him. Because the spirit, that which was good, could not have anything evil or bad happen to it. So it had to go away from him. It had to leave him. They were dealing with this. They taught that body and soul are part of man's earthly existence and the spirit needs to be awakened and liberated by knowledge. We today, knowledge is a good thing. We, we can get a lot of wisdom. We can get a lot of knowledge. The problem is, is that many people who stand up and teach and proclaim things, they say, I'm searching for truth. And everybody's happy about that. We applaud them. We say, oh, that's a great person, society does. But the moment that we say that we found the truth, or I know the truth, there's no possible way. Because the problem with God is not that he's creator, is that he is judge. So when I proclaim that I have the truth to you, it's not, so pro- it's not such an idea that God is creator, but it's that he is judge, that he has judgment on my life, that he has the ability to render what is right and wrong in this world. Is Jesus Christ who he said he was? Is he the God-man? Is he God in the, in the flesh? And one of the first places that Satan began to attack was that truth. Do you understand that? We've been dealing with this. Cults still teach false aberrations of Christology. Um, We deal with it in the church on a consistent basis. Who was Jesus? What was he like? It still is going on today. 30 years after the establishment of the church in the upper room, when the Spirit descended on those in the upper room, and it began to spread out. 30 years later, there's already attacks on the truth, on what is right and what is wrong. It's still going on today. There's a battle for our minds. There's a battle for our children's minds. It's about the professionals are the only ones who can make the decisions. We want to take it away from the parents. We want to take it out of your hands. We have the God-given responsibility to teach our children God's word and his truth. That is our responsibility. Whenever we go before Christ and stand before him, if you're a Christian, at the seat of Christ, the Bema seat, 
It is going to be our responsibility what our children know about the Lord, not the world, not the school, not the institution down the road. It's going to be our responsibility for what we have taught them. We are in a battle for truth. The Colossians were in a battle for truth. What is right, what is wrong. They were in a battle for truth. They taught that the spirit must be awakened by knowledge to be freed from its earthly dungeon. Then it can ascend to the light and be reunited with God. However, as the soul ascends, it must penetrate the cosmic spheres. This is only done by knowledge that comes from knowing certain formulas revealed only to the initiated. So these people thought that were, being, that were teaching these things that you had to have a certain amount of knowledge to liberate you and free you. And then you would move up one sphere to the angelic realm, and then you would move up again and again and again as you ascended up and up until you finally became one with God again. We have to understand that there's been heresies then, there's heresies now. The threat is on the truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? you understand, dads, what I'm saying? The threat is against the truth. The threat is against the truth. The fight is against the truth. The battle is in the mind. Everything that we go through. How do you, what kind of, I always say this to my kids and to Andrea. I said, what's your worldview? How do you see the world? What lenses do you put on? When I take my glasses off, I see you differently. When I put them on, I see clearly. And that's great because there's a bunch of beautiful smiling faces here this morning. And I want to see. But how do you see the world? What colors the world for you today? Do you look at the world through a biblical lens? Or does society, does culture come in and skew your view? And the way that we look at things, does it change according to what so-and-so says on TV or this politician? Or do we look through it through the lens of Scripture? Does Scripture interpret what our experience is? Does the Bible tell us what our experience is? Because we are not able to sit over top of the Scripture and say, well, this is my experience, it must be true, because our experience is marred by sin. Our senses are marred by sin. My mind is not as sharp as it could be. I have to go to the Word and I have to work. Unfortunately, sometimes too hard to get things in my mind to understand them. That's why it's good that we can read what a commentator said. Bounce it off of another brother. Where are we going here? Where are we getting at? It takes work. What does the Bible say? It says study. Study. It doesn't say be lazy. It says study. Put work into it to know. Listen to what Paul said. He said, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. All right, we'll stop there. What a great conflict that Paul has for these people. How he has agonized over these people. Why is he agonizing? He's not even met the people at the church in Colossae. Remember, what is the other city that's mentioned there? Laodicea. Who remembers has heard of the church in Laodicea? What church is that in the Revelation? That's the what church? The lukewarm church, right? He said, I wish that you were neither hot nor cold. Cold is a reference to Colossae because Colossae had cold, good water flowing from it. 
Hierapolis, which is the other church, kind of three cities there around each other, had hot water. Uh, Laodicea had lukewarm, tepid, no good water. And it says that when the people came into Laodicea and they drunk that water, they would typically spit it out because it wasn't any good. Remember Christ said, you're, you're not like Colossae, you're, you're not like their church. It could be a reference to you're not hot or cold, you're just lukewarm, you're just going through the motions. You're not like the church in Hierapolis. But he mentions this church also. But he is agonizing. He is struggling over this church. Why is he struggling over this church? What is his concern? His concern is that there are people out there who are teaching things that are wrong, who are teaching things that are false, who are teaching things that go against the gospel that Paul himself had received directly from Christ because he was commissioned as a late apostle directly from Christ. Remember, on his way to Damascus, Saul saw the living Christ. The living Christ changed his name to Paul, and he received the message of the gospel, not from men. Paul tells us this in the book of Galatians, but directly from Christ. He was fighting against the Judaizers there. He's fighting against the Gnostics here. We are in a fight, in a continual battle against the truth. And we got the whole revelation, or the complete, or the sufficient revelation of God here. We've got the scripture Right here. And we need to be in it because the important thing for us to understand is what view do I see the world through? How am I going to see the world? How am I going to interpret what's going on out there? Well, if I don't know what the Bible says, then everything else is going to come in and interpret it for me. And I'm going to see the world through the world's viewpoint. But what we need to do as fathers, as grandfathers, and that means moms and, and grandmas today, but since it's Father's Day, we're going to say dads and grandpas. We need to be teaching our children what the scriptures say. Right? Because there's going to come a time when the truth is going to be railed against. That's what it is. We're in a battle against the truth. Paul was in agony over them. What does he say? He says that as many have not seen my face in the flesh, he wants their hearts to be encouraged and be knit together in love. He wants them to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged by the truth. I want us to be knit together in love. That unity in the church, what are we unified around? We're unified around the truth of the gospel. The person of Jesus Christ. We start with justification by faith alone. We start with salvation. We are unified by Christ. That's where we want to be. That's where we need to be as a church, is to be unified in Christ. How do we get there? We get there by study. We get there by preaching, by teaching, by reading it on our own, by asking questions, by reading it on our own, by reading it on our own, asking questions, learning, growing together. We need to be unified. So, in these last several weeks, what have I been doing? I've been agonizing also over the truth. Trust me, um, there are times when your pastor is agonizing over the truth because he sees the things that are happening in this world today. When your Sunday school teachers are agonizing over the truth, when everybody who has a part in teaching and bringing the word to you is agonizing over the truth. Because we know that at the end of the day, that's the battle. Whenever you're going through a trial and a tribulation, how is it that you respond? Why do you respond that way? 
I have to tell, I've told both my kids, I've told my wife, sorry so many times, I think I've reached infinity. That's how many times I've got there. But I tell both Mackenzie and Eli, I said, I will tell you that I'm sorry when I do something that's dumb. And I've told them that I'm sorry. But I will always tell them I'm sorry because we're not going to give up on that battle and that fight, right? Because unfortunately, sometimes as a Christian, even with the truth, sometimes we still fall, we still sin. But as a Christian, what do we do? We repent, we say we're sorry, and we keep going forward. We keep going forward. We need to keep going forward in unity, in love, in community as the church. But what are, what are we going to build this on? That's the question. He says, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. The full assurance of understanding. What is the riches here? I'm going to read, um, I hate the... I'm, I'm going to read this now. I think that we're going to go ahead and jump over to 2 Corinthians, just verse 9. <clears throat> well, okay, we'll read, we'll read verse 6. 2 Corinthians, verse 6. I'm going to take my time, and if I don't get as far as I want to, that's fine. As long as you understand what I'm saying to that point, then we can cut it off and be done and enjoy our day. But I hope that you, you get something from this. Oh, Bryce, I meant 1 Corinthians. I may have wrote down 2 Corinthians up there. I was joking and telling people we're going to be in 2 Colossians. There's only one book. Bryce said, where are you at this morning? I said, I'm at church. Where are you at? I knew what he meant, though. You got it? Okay, thank you. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. The rulers of this age, the Bible says, in whom the, in whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of them which believe not. The God of this age, Satan, lest the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And the preceding verse says, But if our gospel was hid, it is hid to those who are lost, and whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, who is what, once again, the image of God, should shine unto them. The rulers of this age are passing away, coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our, for our glory. Mystery, it's used a lot because it was a mystery in the Old Testament. It's being revealed in the New Testament. We got the completeness of this mystery. There's different mysteries to be here, that God would be in them. Colossians says the mystery that God is in you. God dwells in us. That was a different concept. When the Holy Spirit came down after the death of Christ and his resurrection, and the upper room, the Holy Spirit descended. The Holy Spirit dwells within the believer. The Holy Spirit is in you. God is in you. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. Now listen to what this says. None of the rulers of this age knew. He says, I'm just going to bounce back and forth, try to put this together for you. Being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Now, I want you to focus on that word riches. What is riches? 
You're just studying with me. It's how I study. I just flip back and forth. Wow, it says that. Okay. Which not, I'm going to read this again. I know I've read it like five times, but there's a purpose to this. Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It was a mystery. They, they didn't know. They couldn't know. And God's plan, what was always the plan? First off, what was the plan? Was there ever a second plan? The immediate, when, when, when man sinned, immediately God made a promise that one day the seed of the woman, the serpent would bruise his heel, but the seed would crush the serpent's head. There was never a plan B. The Bible tells us that from the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ was what? Slain from the foundation of the world in Revelation 13, 8. There was never a plan B. There was always one plan. Christ is coming. He's going to save us. Now, had they known this, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's a mystery. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I know. Everybody, they, they quote this because, you know, you think it's going to be I don't know what you think. But this, in its context, is referring to the riches of wisdom. What is that wisdom? It's referring to the riches of Jesus Christ. It's referring to the riches of understanding. When we get to heaven, it's, it's not that we get the riches of, you know, rooms in the Father's house and streets of gold. Our prize is Christ himself. Self. The twelve tribes, they all had spaces around the tabernacles, but the Levites didn't. Because they were the ones who got God. They were the ones working in the temple. Their space, their allotted area, was the center point of the Jewish community, and it was God. Our riches will ultimately be God. But in this context, this riches is this wisdom. Is this wisdom? Is this full assurance of what? Understanding. What is assurance? It's a subjective feeling of an actual reality that you're secure in Christ. It's subjective. What Paul is saying to them is that I want you to have the riches of full assurance because of this knowledge. Of who Christ is. The knowledge of the mystery of God. Both of the Father and of Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this is the point that I want. This is like the main part of why I wanted to preach this. So I think they could write a whole Bible school on this right here. Because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus Christ. Everything that we need for life, for spirituality, is found within the Word, is found within the person of Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything is there. Now this, you have to understand... I want to read this to you as soon as I find it. Now, this is kind of a 
Paul is using a word um, here, with pun intended, with the word hidden. Because the Gnostics taught about hidden truth. And actually, their book, one of their books was called Apocryphos, which means hidden. Apocryphos, hidden. That was the title of their book. David Gutzik from um, one of the Blue Letter Bible, he's quoting another guy um, by the name of Barclay. He says, Barclay writes this, his very use of that word, the word apocryphos, here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, the word hidden, his very use of that word is a blow aimed at the Gnostics. Gnostics believe that a great mass of elaborate knowledge was necessary for salvation. A great mass of information is needed for salvation, and we have to give it to you to unlock it all, so that way you can ascend on up. That knowledge they set down in their books, which they called Apocryphos, because they were barred to the ordinary man. The ordinary man couldn't get there. He had to have more knowledge to get up higher. What's our problem in society today that they teach? We've got to get more knowledge to get up. Knowledge will set us free. Knowledge will get us there. It will get us there. It will get us there. But Paul is saying all this hidden wisdom and all this wisdom that we're trying to find and all this knowledge that we're trying to find, all that is hidden in the person of Jesus Christ. And guess what? It's been opened. You see that? It's not hidden. It's, it's a word that is being used in our common term to throw a little shade over on those guys. He's using a word to kind of poke at them. You're saying it's hidden? Well, I'm saying it's all hidden in Christ and it's all open. All these mysteries have been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. What is the mystery? That Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. That Jesus Christ is creator. That he is redeemer. That's the truth. That's the truth. Let me just read to you um, a few pieces of scripture. And then we'll be um, finishing up. I already talked to you about what um, Pilate said. As he asked the question, what is truth? In John 18, verse 38. We're almost done. I think we're getting tired. I'm getting tired, too. I was up late. I'm always up late anymore. We're babysitting my my cousin's dog. He really likes me. But he likes Andrea a lot more. But that doesn't mean that Andrea makes him go outside. We make the kids do that. Take him out. I just stay up late. I don't I just like to be up late in the summer because it's light outside longer. And then I get up early because it's light early. Jesus said in John 37, Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, said to them, said to them I find no fault in him. John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by truth. What is truth? Your word is truth. Who is truth? Jesus is truth. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. All right. John chapter 1, verse 14. 
And we beheld, and, and, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time, verse 18. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Jesus Christ has declared who God is. You understand that? That's the truth. All right. I'll conclude with my readings in Corinthians. I'd be 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read some verses here, and um, I think we're doing pretty good. And I want, I'll read through these. I want you to hear these. I may stop, make a comment, and then I'm, I've already read the other. So we'll, we'll stop here with this one. There's a lot about wisdom. You could look at this, and I, I could have picked 25 different areas, really, to preach this message from. But to be honest with you, I wanted to write a Bible school from that verse, in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but I never did do that. So I'm trying it out on you today, and if it doesn't work, then I'm going to scrap the idea. For Christ did not sin. No, I'm, I'm being serious. I thought I could write a Bible school about that, but as you see, I've not done that. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. What Paul means here is he's not downing on wisdom, but not with fancy words. I, I'm not, I don't try to be fancy with you. I'm just myself anymore. I've just learned I don't want to be like anybody else, to be myself. Uh, and and my, my job for you is just that you learn something from the word. Because I, I, I don't have anything to offer you. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be philosophical whether... I think something's philosophical or I think something's ingenious or what. I, that's, you do not need me. You need the word. I've been, doing, I've been preaching now for 23 years, and it took me a long time to learn a lot that I've learned. And God was very gracious in that time. And I thought if I could put out an argument, there it was. Paul repeatedly says he does not use fancy words, that he just comes with the truth. That's it, the gospel, because the gospel is that which converts the soul. The word of the Lord, the word of God, the law of God is what converts the soul. Psalms tells us in 119. He says, lest the cross of Christ be made of nothing. He doesn't want anything over top of the message of the cross. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolishness to the world. It makes no sense. The fact that God became man, put on flesh, was the God-man, went to the cross, gave his life for sinners like us, then was resurrected from the dead. It's foolishness to the world. It's foolishness now. It was foolishness then. But at the heart and the center of our message, the cross is the power of God. The cross is the demonstration of the truth in the world today. All of history was looking towards the cross, and all of history is looking back at the cross now. It is the pivotal point at which all eternity hangs its hat, the cross of Christ. And it is still the power of God today. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. 
For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, Christ, the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What is the power of God? What is the wisdom of God? Christ is the power of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What is your worldview? What is the glasses that you put on your face to look at the world today? Is it through the power and the wisdom of God who is the person of Jesus Christ who declared to us and showed us who God is? What is it? How do you see the world? And what do we tell our children? We've got to do a better job of that, and I've got to do a better job of that. They're going to be gone before long. They're going to be up and out of the house. Andrew says that they can live with us. I say, no, you've got to move out. <laughs> Eli says he's staying. Um, Eli's staying. I, he's got a, he can use the camper, I guess. <laughs> Eli says he's going to stay, and I'm living in his room, and no, I'm just kidding. He does say that. Um, so, amen. Now, my father-in-law is here with me today. Um, I've known, they, he's been family for 20 years now, and uh, he's been a great-grandfather to both uh Mackenzie and Eli and Hattie. Hattie's not here. Great grandfather to um, to her as well. Um, he's a great dad to both Andrea and Cody, and has been a great father-in-law. And I just uh, happy Father's Day to you. I appreciate you being here. And um, once again, happy Father's Day to all you wonderful um, young men out there. Um, it's been a blessing to be here. Now, now we're done here this morning, but we're not done. So I'm not done with this. You're not done with this. What are you going to do with what I've said? Well, hopefully with what I've said, you laugh and you have some fun. What did he say in the scriptures? What did Paul say about the Bereans? That they went and they searched the scriptures diligently to prove whether those things were in the word or not. Those at Thessalonica did not do that. He had to write a letter to the Thessalonians. You, know, you notice there's not a letter to the Bereans. Because I have confidence by that little piece of scripture that those individuals at that point in time must have been very dutiful in going to the word and studying it. So everything that I've said today, the biggest application that you can put on your life this morning for the rest of your life is to make sure that you're opening this book and reading it and spending time in prayer because you're not going to go out and find some treasure of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus that's out in the world. That's not there. That's just like what the Gnostics were doing. Don't, don't be with the Gnostics and the Judaizers. Be in the Word so that you know what the truth is and where it comes from, okay? All right. We'll just um, take a moment.